you have to fail to, to learn these things that matter most to you. Most, many times, let's just say this, many times our black sheep values are born from failure or negative experiences. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Studying Failure. I am your host, John Egan, and my goal is to normalize the conversation of failure. I want to help you realize three things. One, you're not alone in your failures. Two, your failure is not final. And three, your failures do not define you. Each week, I'll bring out some incredible guests that will not only share their failures and their journeys, but will also give extremely practical advice on how to change the way you view your failures, setbacks, and adversity. Guys, this week's episode is special. Brant shares the greatest failure of his life, which led to writing the book Black Sheep. But man, it is emotional. It is powerful. You can hear the emotion in his voice. My skin started to to tingle. I got emotional. Guys, it is a really, really powerful episode. And then we also talk about the ability to make good decisions and how good decisions have nothing to do with outcomes. He says, the only thing you can control is the deliberate intention that you put into making a decision. And there are three questions you need to ask yourself. And as long as you can honestly answer yes to all three of those questions, then you are good to move forward on that decision. Guys, this episode is so good. You're going to want to share it with a friend because it is that powerful. So make sure you take a screenshot of the episode and tag both Brant and myself on Instagram, letting us know that you're listening in to this episode. And then make sure you head on over and subscribe to Studying Failure Podcast and leave a review if you haven't already done that. So guys, without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode with Brant Menzoir. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Studying Failure. Today, we're hanging out with one of the nation's top 10 motivational speakers, Brant Menzoir. Brant is a critically acclaimed author, award-winning musician, podcast host, and CEO of Rockstar Impact. He's been on stage for some of the top organizations in the country, teaching and compelling audiences to dive deeper into their lives and start living on purpose. He has a powerful new book out, Black Sheep, that shows you how to unleash your own black sheep, which is the five core values that make you who you are, to unleash the extraordinary, awe-inspiring, undiscovered you. Brant, my man, I am so excited for today's conversation, dude. Oh, me too, brother. It is, uh, you know, when I, when we got the request here and I like, this is, I was looking so forward to this because I have failed, uh, more than I have succeeded in my life. And so, <laughs> you know, uh, I am excited to, uh, to have some of this conversation with you about maybe how people can use that as a launching pad to, to move forward in their life. Yes. Yes. Launching pad, dude. That's it. That's it. Like when you think about a rocket, like they're sitting on that launching pad for a mm. long time and then boom, up they go to outer space. And like without that launching pad, they wouldn't be able to make it there. They, they, I, like, yeah. That's not possible. Not yes. possible. Yes. Um, dude, I, I love that you said you've had more failures than you've had successes because 
dude, just reading your bio, I mean, the amount of success is there. I mean, that's insane, dude. Like, that's that's a list, <laughs> well, man. I mean, you've shared the stage mm-hmm. at like what Netflix and ESPN and St. Jude's and all these different stages. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really easy for people to be like, well, he's successful. Like he might have failed. Oh, but yeah. So do dive into some of those, man. I mean, whew. yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I, I grew up my whole life wanting to play professional baseball. That was my uh, my plan A, B, C, and D. And <laughs> uh, you know, had a really successful amateur career. And uh, then I just got hurt. I was a pitcher. Um, ended up uh, sort of breaking my my shoulder. And uh, when you do when you do that, it, you know, it just uh, no one really wants to talk to you anymore. I tried my best to come back. Uh, you know, the best. Uh, doctors and uh, Dr. Pappas from the Red Sox uh, sort of mm-hmm. stepped in to help, and and uh, it just it just wasn't meant to be. And that I had to sort of give up on that dream uh, because it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, and you know that led me to the music business, which really? is is sort of crazy, right? It, it was unexpected, but you know I have searched really since I got hurt for trying to recreate the feeling of what it's like to stand on the mound and yeah. And face an opponent. Right. And so, you know, for me, it was this idea of, I'm just trying to replicate how it felt. And the closest mm-hmm. thing I could find was being a rock star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, um, uh, formed, a formed a, a couple of bands, uh, two different record deals toured the world for the better part of 20 years. And, um, wow. you know, that's, uh, that's sort of what led f- really, doing well enough to make a living, but uh-huh. not having the massive success that you have any idea who I am or the bands I was in. And sure. so, you know, that could be argued that, uh, it was still a failure from where we were shooting for, <laughs> which led me to the conference stage, uh, as a keynote speaker. And mm-hmm. here I am now at 49 years old and, uh, finally feeling like I am in the place that I'm supposed to be doing what I was meant to do. But gosh, wow. it took, it took me really not succeeding, ha- having some success, but not the level of success that I wanted, um, sure. in, in pretty much every single thing I've done mm. in my life up till now. And now that the sort of my what and my why, my values and my mission, my my purpose are in alignment with each other, um, I'm starting to see the level of success that uh, I desire in my life. Wow. Man, there, there's a lot that I want to jump in there, man. But two things. One, I find it so interesting that you said you're 49 and you're now just feeling that. Oh, yeah. I, It's so, man, like people when they're like in their 20s or 30s and they're not feeling like where they should be, that's when they just completely give up and they're like, man, I'm not here. Like I'm not where I thought I would be. And they just stop chasing that dream, dude. Yeah. So what kept you from like being like, you know what? I'm just going to not chase that dream anymore. I'm just going to settle to be, I don't know, like an accountant. Not that being an accountant is bad. But you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to just settle, like what kept you from doing that? Um, you know, I, I think for me, it's, it's, I, I grew up a highly competitive athlete and, and that competitiveness 
uh, always makes me want to strive for what's next. And so when yeah. you reach, when you reach that next plateau, there's no celebration. It's, it's always, oh, well, well, you didn't realize, but there's another plateau that was just above <laughs> that one. And sure. so you're already, you're already nose to the grindstone going for that next thing. And, and that to me is what it's always been. So even when on the surface, it may look like, um, the perception is that that I, I've been successful in some of these things, and and to an extent that's true, but again, mm-hmm. not to the level that I desired in my life, and that caused me to have to pivot. And sure. and some of the you know this this new book, this uh, this whole idea of black sheep was born out of probably the greatest failure in my life, and so really? that to me, um, I feel I feel you when you say. Uh, that that we have to learn from our failures, and this uh, this book just wouldn't be here uh, without uh, the single greatest failure ever in my life. Whoa, dude! I don't want you to give away the book, right? I don't want you because I want yeah. people to go out and, and get yeah. it. Yeah. But what was that <clears throat> biggest failure, and and what did you learn from it, man? So for me, in 2012, uh, my oldest son Theo was 14 years old. And uh, Theo was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer that required a bone marrow transplant for him to survive. And so, you know, that started a 263 straight day journey at Florida Hospital for Children uh, with him battling, uh, as you can imagine it, it, so it pulled me off the road um, from from touring with the band and and, uh, all my focus is on him and trying to, uh, to get healthy. And, you know, we found ourselves in this crazy scenario. So he, he receives the bone marrow transplant and he develops something called graft versus host disease. And this is where the marrow that gets inserted into your body, uh, doesn't recognize the environment that it's been placed. So it begins to attack. And so the way that you, the way that you treat it is you super suppress the immune system so that the body won't fight back. And you just hope that the new marrow starts to produce new cells at such a rapid uh, pace that the body just sort of accepts it eventually and goes, okay, we're not going to fight. We're just going to take this and that's what it's going to be. And so that's where we found ourselves. There are four different levels of graft versus host disease. Um, Everybody gets level one or two. Um, Level three is incredibly dangerous and level four is lethal. And so he had level four plus, Mm. um, had it in his lungs, had it in places they didn't even know you could get graft versus host disease. And uh, sort of in a desperation attempt to really save his life and and suppress his immune system. Uh, During that process, he was so suppressed that he contracted a deadly fungus while he was in the hospital. And that fungus, the way that you treated it was to super boost the immune system. Okay. Uh, And so we had two things that were killing him that had opposite treatments, which created this zero sum game. And so we got called into the parents' lounge after a couple hundred days in the hospital, and they told us that uh, they there was nothing else they could do. If they treated one, the other one was going to take his life. They didn't think he was going to make it through the night, so they sent us back to his room to say our goodbyes and uh, to call whoever we needed to call in. Brant, oh my! And so gosh. we, you know, we. What do you do when when you get that sort of information from a team full of doctors? You stand up and you walk back to that room and you grab his younger brother and. You sit on the edge of the bed and you try to find the words to, to say goodbye, right? And so in that moment, I uh, made the single greatest mistake, uh, the biggest failure ever in my life, which was I said my goodbyes. Wow. And I should have never done that. I should have never uh, allowed somebody else to, to tell me 
what was possible for my son. Um, they don't possess that kind of power, uh, but I gave that power to them. Man, Brant. And that to me was, um, was the beginning of, of, a, of a really long journey here. Cause what happened next was, uh, you know, I, I had to call my younger brother who lives 1500 miles away in New Hampshire and tell him that he wasn't going to have time to make it. So he was going to have to say his goodbyes over the phone if he was going to do that, which he did, which as you can imagine was incredibly distraught. Um, when he sort of finished, he was feeling helpless. And so that night he decided to sit on his couch and film himself holding up these poster boards, sort of explaining the scenario. My nephew's dying. We're running out of time. We have less than 24 hours. He's got this. He's got that. We've tried this. We've tried that. We're out of, we're out of, and the doctor does, doctors don't have any answers. We're out of ideas. Please help us. Um, he never said a word. Uh, he simply played the song Fix You by Coldplay from start to finish. And when the song was over, that was it. Wow. He uh, stopped the video and he uploaded it to YouTube. Um, Theo made it through the night that night. And so I'm still sitting on the edge of the bed, sort of waiting for him to pass. And my phone's ringing off the hook. I am trying to be present. I'm trying to ignore it. I just want to, you know, have every last second I possibly can. Holy smokes. And, um, by the time I reached down and grabbed my phone after a couple of hours, it's literally hot from, from vibrating. Whoa. And, and I look at my phone and I see all these names and phone numbers from people that I don't recognize. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I didn't know my brother had made this video. I didn't know that he had uploaded it to YouTube. But by the time I grabbed my phone and looked, that video had been seen over 500,000 times. Holy cow. And so some of these people were doctors from all over the world who happened to see my brother's video. One of them was at MD Anderson in Houston. No way. And I got a voicemail from him that said, listen, I got sent your video. I got your number. And I'm not, there, there's a brand new treatment that I don't know that your doctor is aware of that may allow you to treat both things at the same time. Would you mind if I had a conversation? And so we said, absolutely. And then I got a call from Dr. Tim Johnson from Good Morning America, who says, um, you tell your doctor, anybody he wants to speak to, get me a list and I'll try to make it happen in the next 24 hours. Wow. So we made a list. Um, Dr. Johnson did exactly what he said he was going to do. We had a conversation with the doctor at Dana-Farber in Boston. Uh, research doctor at Cornell University and sort of the four doctors put their heads together and they came up with this crazy plan to try to save Theo's life. Uh, and it worked. That's incredible. And it worked. And so Theo just turned 23 years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, right before COVID here was the first time he's been in a classroom setting since the eighth grade. Oh my goodness. And so now I look at this and I go, that moment, as much as a fairy tale ending that that could be, sure, we uh, understand that not everybody got that ending. You know, you spend a year in a pediatric oncology ward, and you know that that's not the ending that everybody gets. Mm. But for four, five, six years after this, I went to bed every night with one question in my head, which is, I wonder if he thinks I gave up on him. Oh man, Brand. And so that process, that idea led me to write this book, that greatest failure of saying my goodbyes. I should have never, if I had known then what I know now, which are my non-negotiable personal core values, I own them, I activate them. Um, if I would have known then, that conversation on the edge of the bed would have been completely different, completely different. Sure. But it wasn't. And so now um, I'm able to take that failure and sort of put in the wisdom I've learned into this book 
And hopefully when somebody else is facing whatever storm it is they are in their life, they're now better prepared um, to have a, a much different sort of a conversation and outcome than I did. That that story, man, um, I got chills, dude. And, and during it, I mean, I, I started feeling my eyes well up. I mean, that yeah. just... Yeah, man, I, I can't imagine, dude, I've got, I've got two kids myself, a four-year-old mm. and then a five week old and, um, wow. six, six week old. And I, congratulations. Thank you, man. But I, I, I can't, I can't even fathom or imagine what that was like, what that, what that time was like for you guys. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's one of those things that, you know, people say, I don't know how you, I don't know how you did it, but you just do it. You just do it. Right. There's, yeah. there's not a, there's no thought, right? There's no thought. You just do it because right. it's what's required of you in that moment. And when it comes to your children, you do whatever's necessary. You do whatever's necessary. That's right. Um, so you, you said towards the end, or you, you, you talked about your non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know you, you said, you, I, I listened, you said, is it five or six non-negotiables that you have? So the book talks about, um, finding your flock of five, right? And so uh -huh. it's, it's called black sheep for, for one really specific reason that, uh, you know, I was 47 years old, I think before somebody actually explained to me the truth as to why farmers don't value black sheep, like the rest of the flock. And when I, why? Well, I, I was blown away when I heard this. And if you don't know it either, I'm going to feel much better that I went 47 years before somebody <laughs> told me. So the reason that farmers don't value black sheep like the rest of the flock is because a black sheep's uh -huh. wool cannot be dyed. Really? So every black sheep is in effect 100% authentically original. It can't, it can't be twisted or made into something that it, that it isn't. And so okay. unlike... The rest of the flock where you can dye that wool any color you want to make anything you want black sheep are black sheep that's just what it is yeah and so yeah. when i heard that i'm like gosh that's literally my my life's goal <laughs> is to be who i was uh, authentically created to be right and sure. and, yeah. and so um the idea is that we possess a flock of five black sheep values. These are these mm -hmm. deeply held personal core values that no matter how somebody wants to twist you or try to change you, they simply won't be changed just like a black sure. sheep's wool, right? Sure. So I love that. We have what I like to call flock of five, um, but the truth is you may have an extra, right? So for me, creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity. Those are my black mm -hmm. sheep. Um, I have six. Uh, it is, it is, uh, pretty common for people to have one extra, maybe even one less, a little less common. But the idea is when you know what your non-negotiables are, you can start to filter your decisions through them. Sure. And so a good decision, and this is something that, that I like to try to get people to understand. I've, I've asked this question to, I don't know, t t literally probably 50, 60,000 people in the last uh, 18 months. And the question is, sure. how do you know when you've made a good decision? So John, how do you know when you've made a good decision? Um, uh, it usually kind of coincides with a feeling, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, like, you know, like we recently bought a house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I feel like buying a house right now is a good decision for us. So we're in the house. It, it's like, yep, this is the right decision for us. So it kind of coincides with a feeling, okay. I'd say. So a feeling is is an outcome or a result. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the, the the challenge is that good decisions have nothing to do with outcomes <laughs> uh, because, <Okay. laughs> because we don't control outcomes, 
Right. Right. And so the, right. the idea is the only thing you can control is the deliberate intention that goes into making a decision. Ah, yeah. And so the reason that you need to figure out what your black sheep values are is because it's the only way that you can begin what I call the decision supply chain. It starts that it's born from these non-negotiables. So it either, uh -huh. it either honors them uh -huh. or it violates them. Right. Sure. So that's number sure. one. The second thing is you've got to try to get your hands on all the facts that you can that you can gather. Right. And so for me, mm -hmm. um, the the story of my son, uh, the truth in the room in that hospital was that there were no other options. But right. the truth was bigger than the room. Yeah. And so sometimes you've got to go beyond the room you're in and look for other, you know, some other information to get more facts. Sure. So. That's the second part. And the last part is you've got to honor and acknowledge how you're feeling in the moment. If you've done those three things, then it's a good decision regardless of the outcome. We remove yeah. our happiness. We remove whether something is good or bad from that outcome. Um, that's something called outcome bias that you can uh -huh. anybody can look up and see if you try to justify a decision after the fact as good or bad based on an outcome, that's outcome bias. And, and then the science doesn't support that because we don't control yeah. the outcome. So yeah. we control that decision-making process. And so for me, one that's born from these black sheep values considers all the facts you can get your hands on and honors what you're feeling in the moment. That's a mm -hmm. good decision. And you can go to bed every night and sleep like a baby knowing, well, maybe not with a, with a five or six week old, <laughs> but eventually you're going to be able to sleep like a baby knowing that you honored the things that mattered most to you. As, as long as it answers like those three questions, right? Correct. Like as long as it, it's all or nothing. And then, and, and if it's like two out of three, yeah, uh, still mm -hmm. like no. it, it has to be three out of three. It does. And, and I love that because that takes it, that takes the outcome totally out of it. Right. Yeah. Like, like you were saying, like that takes the outcome totally out of it. It's all based on, okay, if it answers these three things, huh? I'm good. That's it. I'm good. That's it. I'm good. I love that. So were, were those six non-negotiables for you? Were they all born out of that situation mm. with your son? Yeah, that's a great question. And so the, the answer is um, no. Um, our core, for, for most of us, our core values are formed over the course of our lives. And by the time we mm -hmm. reach our early 20s, they're pretty much set in stone. Mm -hmm. So outside of a catastrophic event in your life, um, those, those values rarely, rarely change, right? Sure. So when you do experience a catastrophic event in your life, um, it can move or shift a value or two. Um, for me, it moved uh, something like connection to family, okay. right? It was more personal okay. because it was my it was specifically the need for my family in that moment, not just connection, which would be the larger value that would include something like family. Um, you got really specific. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly right. And so, so okay. that was the one that really moved for me. Um, and it shored up a couple of other things, uh, one of them being impact, right? I mm -hmm. desire uh, a certain impact in people's lives. It's why I became a musician and wrote music and performed. It's why I speak on stages is because I care about the impact that I'm having. And, um, mm -hmm. and my desire for larger and larger and larger impact is what keeps me going through all the failures that, that I've experienced thus far. Wow. So- and I'm I'm really interested to hear what you have to say here because I've heard you say that you need to figure out your what before you your why. Yeah. Right. 
And from what it sounds like, your why is to create a bigger impact, right? And so, like, is it safe to say that your why then is is pulling you through those failures, or is it more like your what is pulling you through those failures? Yeah. Yes, and okay. So, okay. Okay. so we start with what because our why is literally born from our what. If we don't discover our non-negotiables, then our why is never going to be correct. Hmm. Just it, it just can't be because. The why has to include what our non-negotiables are. So what do I mean by that? So you know mine, creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity. My purpose, yep. my why is to creatively impact others by authentically providing hope. Okay. It literally has the black sheep in my purpose, <laughs> right? They're in alignment. Sure. They're in alignment. My what and my why are in alignment. And when those two things are in alignment, the how is all that's left. The how is our mission. Mm -hmm. And that mission mm -hmm. changes every day with every conversation, with every interaction that you have. So if you want to mm -hmm. be adaptable, if you want to be resilient, your what and your why have to be in alignment because that's what makes you incredibly adaptable in a moment to overcome failure sure. because it's those values that keep you committed to the goals that you have in place. Wow. So that's, that's good. So your why then is... is it's almost born out of it is what it is a hundred percent. You have to choose. You have to literally choose a purpose and write a purpose statement for your life that includes your black sheep values, because those are the mm. things that you care about the most. Those are your non-negotiables, not things that are important, not things that on a, you know, under a good argument, you might be able to have your mind swayed. No, 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 no. These are yeah. like black sheep's wool. You can't change them. They are what they are. And so uh -huh. most people never take the time to distinguish their non-negotiables from the things that are really important to them. Yeah. And because of that, they get distracted. They try to honor too many things. They allow feelings like shame and anxiety and depression to enter the, the picture because they're trying to do too much without knowing what they truly care about. Interesting. Why do you think people don't figure out like those five non-negotiables because winging it is easier <laughs> it is yeah wake up and just i'll have i'll do this i'll go this i'll meet this person for lunch i'll go this person for dinner and it is there a, it is it is a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people who actually have done the work to live their life on purpose mm. so when i say on purpose i mean living a life in alignment with your purpose. If you haven't discovered your, your black sheep, you can't do anything on purpose. You are winging yeah. it, right? And that was the hardest yeah. thing for me to accept. I am a control freak. Uh, I could be on the cover of Control Freak Weekly. Um, it is, it, you know, if you invited me uh, to dinner, John, I would I would drive your car. Like that's literally the amount of control that I desire in my life. And I'm gonna be honest, Brant. My car, it's a beat up old Jetta. I don't even know if you'd want to drive that, dude. Like, well, let's Uber. Maybe let's we'll Uber. Take, we'll take my car. Um, but the 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 idea here is that. Um, as a type A, as an overachiever, as an incredibly competitive person, mm -hmm. accepting the fact that I don't control outcomes was the hardest part of the journey for me. Sure. And shifting from trying to determine an outcome to honoring the things that mattered most is literally what changed my ability to be happy, my ability to feel fulfilled, my ability to continue to push through adversity because it's not about the outcomes. 
I don't worry about outcomes. I only worry Uh about honoring these things. And if I can honor these things, I'm good to go. You're good to go. Oh, dude, let's go. You're onto something, man. (laughs) Black sheep. Oh, I'm so excited, man. Um, what's, what's been, what's been being a dad taught you taught yourself about failure and, and about even about even success? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up, my dad was uh, my coach for my whole life. Um, nice. he was a English teacher, a high school English teacher for 33, 34 years wow. uh, before he retired. And, um, you know, I, I grew up sort of with this ingrained, um, competitiveness in me that came through him. Um, he never, mm-hmm. never made me feel, uh, like I was, uh, less than, or if I lost a game or I didn't have the outcome that I was looking for that, that, uh, it just meant, you know, putting in the work and understanding what can we learn from this? You know, yeah. um, he coached yeah. my, my dad has coached many, many, um, professional baseball players over his career. And, uh, you know, some of the most successful ones track everything, you know, they, they get back, mm. they get back between innings. He's a pitching coach. He gets, okay. you know, so the guys would come back between innings and they'd start to write down every pitch they threw and, and what happened Whoa. and what did the batter do? And what did they do when you threw him a curveball? What did you do when you threw a, a pitch on the outside part of the plate? And, yeah. and they would study all of those things. So the next time they faced that person, they were much better mm-hmm. prepared to win. And, um, and you know, that turned into, that was Mike Flanagan who really started that, who went on to win the Cy Young award in 1981 for the Baltimore Orioles yeah, or 79. Not too bad. Right. Not bad. Not too bad. <laughs> 79 and won the Cy Young 81 wins the world series. It, you know, it's like, okay, you know, so, so that's sort of where I was raised in that way. And, mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. what it's been for me is, I've been really careful not to push what matters most to me onto my kids. Um, I, okay. I've had to nurture them to, to figure that stuff out for themselves. And that honestly um, came back. I'm going to say it came back to bite me in the ass, uh, but, but it turned out to be great because my youngest, uh, who is uh, just started college this last year, mm-hmm. you know, he had an, op- he had an opportunity. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, he, he had an opportunity to, um, apply and become a QuestBridge scholar, which is, which is a very prestigious, uh, he, he graduated first in his class, uh, at a top 50 high school in the United States, academic high school. Whoa. And, Whoa. Uh, we always laughed at the, the, the principal, when you went to, to your orientation said, if you if your kids are here to play sports, you're in the wrong school. <laughs> <laughs> so you're yeah. like, all oh, right. That's right. If, you, if they're mathletes, you're in the right place. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? That's right. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's what it was. And so he graduated and, um, he had this opportunity and, and quest bridge scholars, uh, it's a full ride for your entire college experience. And their, their partners are, you know, Harvard, Yale, MIT, uh, Dartmouth. Um, it's pretty much the best of the best. Sure. Um, he uh, turned it down (laughs) and Oh, as a dad, um, we had a, we had a knockdown drag out, you know, you, you don't conversation. Know, you don't know any yeah. better. You haven't lived long right. enough to know any better. Um, uh-huh. And the truth was, he had. And he sat mm-hmm. me down after a, a couple of heated conversations, and he sat me down and used sort of my own um, methodology uh, to to, mm-hmm. t- to tell me why it wasn't right for him. And he was a hundred percent 
true. It was just accurate. And, and so it's hard to agree or disagree with him uh, when he makes a case that is logically sound and, and born out of the things that matter most to him. Yeah. And so, you know, lo and behold, he decides to go to university of South Florida in Tampa um, to study computer engineering and um, still had a full ride because he's just that smart. And, um, you know, he's doing fantastic. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I had to really learn uh, part of me was really upset that, that he passed on something that could have been this incredible opportunity, but part of sure. me was incredibly proud that wow. um, he's learned how to discover these things that matter most to him and use those things to guide his life for better or worse. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's amazing that an 18, 19 year old <laughs> yeah. is able to say, Hey, these five things are what matter most to me. And dad, this is why I'm making that decision. And I'm sure you're like, man, shoot. Like I taught him these five <laughs> things. Right. Like, I'm like, darn it. Don't <laughs> listen to what I say. That's right. <laughs> you know? What are you doing? That's right. And so, you know, yeah. the, the, the truth is this. Yeah, there's no reason to not do the work when you're that age. If you can yeah. figure out what matters most to you at 21, think about how how many bad decisions you're going to avoid moving forward, right? Right. And right. If, if I would have known that, if I would have done the work at 21, I promise you that my life would look uh, very different. Not not um, hmm. not better necessarily, but I believe that I would be far more successful uh, than I am right now if I would have applied mm -hmm. those things you know, 20, 30 years ago. That's so interesting. The way that now that you're getting out this message with these these five, helping people know they're black sheep. Yeah. I mean, that's just, like I said earlier, you're on to something, brother. Oh, good. You are on to something, man. This is going to impact a lot of people. I'm I'm excited. Um, Last couple questions for you, man. I'm sure. I really appreciate the time, dude. Yeah. This, this has been awesome. Is there anything in your life right now, Brant, huh? that you're holding back from doing like maybe a, a thousand percent because you're scared you might fail? Because you're scared that like you might not meet that expectation of success that you might want to meet? So you're kind of holding back a little bit? Uh, yes. I would say that it's not a fear of failure necessarily. I would mm -hmm. say that it is more on the lines of, listen, the next level for me is the Brene Brown level, the Simon Sinek level, the, the, you know, I, I want my own neck, my own Netflix special, right? That's, that's where I'm yeah. at. And so, yeah. so that level, um, it's not necessarily that I'm afraid of failing. It's that I know there's a process. I know that there is a, um, if I'm going to get that opportunity, it's rare. And so when, sure. it, when it happens, I need to be prepared. I, it can't mm -hmm. be something that is, uh, hasn't been fully baked, right? I, yeah, I can't right. be making the donuts when people show up to eat the donuts. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's absolutely. It's just one of the things that, that has been hard for me because I want it. I want it. I want it, but I know that I haven't been quite ready for it yet. You know, the content wasn't completely yeah. baked. The, the idea of what's the follow-up, what happens when somebody discovers their five, what do you do next? How do you prove that uh -huh. they're real? How do you speak them into existence? How do they check in six months when it's down? 
down the road and they need to use this as a gap analysis tool. There's like, there's so much of that stuff that has to be thought of before uh-huh. you try to pull yourself up to that platform. Because trust me, everybody at that level knows all those things. And that's they, all, they've thought through it all. They know it all. It's already there. They're already doing yeah. it. And so if yeah. you're coming in as, as, as the young gun, as the new flavor of the month or whatever it's going to be, uh, you better have your stuff sorted because if you get there and you don't succeed, the, mm-hmm. the chance of you getting there again is going to be very, very slim. Right. Right. Well, it kind of made me think of that old, um, uh, proverb, you know, when, when the, uh, student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. Right. Agreed. So it's just like, you just constantly just have to be ready, have to be ready, have to be ready. Agreed. Um, where, where can people follow you? Where can people get a hold of you? Where do you hang out most? Um, like online, yeah. uh, where can people get your book, man? Yeah. So uh, the answer, all roads lead to findyourblacksheep.com. Uh, that's the best place. So you'll be able to, you know, find me there, find my, uh, my speaking engagements. My speaking site is attached to that. You'll find a, a place to take the online assessment so that you can find your flock. It's a free, yes. it's a free assessment, awesome. right? You just simply click on find your flock. Uh, it will walk you through about a, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on, on how many words you select, um, mm-hmm. to, to sort of discover what your flock is, at least what you think it is. And then there's a tracking workbook that comes with it to help you prove that what you've said is actually true, which wow, spoiler alert is not true. <laughs> <laughs> the five that you give me up front is never the five that you end with when you're done with the process ever. It's been wow. like thousands of people have gone through it. Not once has anyone given me the five in the beginning that is that has ended on the five that they've settled on. So wow. knowing that you got some work to do, but find your black sheep.com. Um, all social media is at Brant Menswar, just my name, B-R-A-N-T. M-E-N-S-W-A-R. Um, I'm pretty active on all social media channels. Uh, and, and so if you DM me on any of those things, you're, you're, it comes directly to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a team per se. It's still just me right now. So <laughs> if, if you want to have a conversation with me, it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good yeah, time. I love it. That's it. I love it. People reach out to Brant, talk to him, please. This, this dude's a real deal. Um, how do you personally define failure and even success for yourself? Because it's so different for each and every person, right? Mm. It varies. So how do you personally define those things? So, uh, you know, success to me is really simple. Um, success is, is making and keeping commitments. Okay. End of conversation. That's, that's, that's what success is making and keeping commitments, right? Um, don't Mm -hmm. put, don't put any other outcome on that because, you don't control that outcome, <laughs> right? So we're not right, going to do that. Right? Failure yep. to me, uh, failure is a necessary part of success. Hmm. You have to fail to, to learn these things that matter most to you. Most, many times, let's just say this, many times our black sheep values are born from failure or negative experiences. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's from those things that we discover what really truly matters to us, either that we never want to experience that again, or I never want to be perceived as that type of person, um, whatever it might be. And so it's why it's so important to do the work to prove that they're real. And the reason that we want to prove is, is this. And I'll, and I'll, I'll sort of finish on this story so you understand. So yeah. there are, um, 
there are a couple of things that are really important to remember when it comes to your black sheep values. And it mm -hmm. ties back to the literal raising and, and herding uh, uh, of sheep. And mm -hmm. so uh, I was told recently that uh, sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. Yeah. And um, that's partially true. It's not a hundred percent true. The truth is that sheep recognize the voice of the person that feeds them. That's the truth. Okay. 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 So uh, the other thing to to remind yourself of is that sheep have short term memories, and so um, the idea becomes: if we are being deliberate with our intention, we've figured out what our sheep are. We are we are speaking them into existence, meaning we are honoring them and engaging with them on a daily basis. We're feeding our sheep. Then, when we go to call for them, guess what happens? They show up because they they, show up. they recognize our voice because we're feeding them all the time, right? Mm, yeah. Here, here is the caveat and the and the, the asterisk. If you are feeding someone else's sheep, they also show up looking for food, which takes Ooh. food away from what matters most to you. To to you, yeah. And so it's why you want to prove which sheep are yours and which are not. When mm -hmm. you do that work and you call out for them when you need them, they show up ready to go to work every single time. So find yeah. your sheep, feed your sheep, and start to live your life on purpose. Come on, man. Right? That's good, dude. That's, that's, a, that's a mic drop moment right there. That's good, dude. <laughs> that's the that's, cut. Use that so in the good. promo. That right there. That's is right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Everyone's like, oh, Brand, I'm coming. Damn. Man. I'm feeding my sheep. I'm feeding <laughs> my sheep, man. Oh, dude, Brand, that was good, dude. This whole time together was so good. I knew it was going to be good, but you even, I mean, you, you even blew it out of the water, man. Like, that was incredible. I appreciate here's, you so much, man. Here's my challenge to you. I want you to go online and I want you to take that assessment. Yeah. And then I want you and I to have another conversation in about 90 days and let's see where, where your life is at. I, I'm doing it, man. I've got, Do I've it. got one meeting this afternoon at four o'clock and in between then, uh, from now and then I'm, I'm jumping on there and taking it, man. Let's do it. I can't wait. I need it, man. I can't wait. This was awesome. Awesome. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, pal. Let's stay in touch. You bet. Guys. I don't know about you, but I loved every single minute of that episode. I loved in the very beginning when Brant straight up owned that he's had way more failures than he's had successes. I loved how we talked about how failure is a launching pad in the beginning. That was the first thing that we talked about. And then when he got vulnerable and open about the greatest failure of his life in dealing with his son's life, whoa, that had me emotional. I'm not kidding you when I had tears welling up in my eyes that the hair on my arms was just standing straight up. It was incredible. And it's incredible to see what has now come out of that with Black Sheep, the book coming out of that and him being able to get more specific on his non-negotiables. I really loved how he talked about how you know if you made a good decision or not, and those three questions that you have to ask yourself. My favorite quote from this episode is when he said, the only thing you can control is the deliberate intention that you put into making a decision. And as long as you can answer those three questions honestly, then you're good to go with moving forward with your decision. 
I loved at the end when we were talking about feeding your black sheep and how you need to feed your black sheep. You can't feed other people's black sheep. It's so important, guys. Invest in yourself. Spend time with yourself. Become self-aware and you will continue to grow. So guys, if you haven't sent this over to a friend, take a screenshot, send it over to somebody and let them know just how powerful this episode was. And make sure you subscribe to the Studying Failure podcast as each week we've got some incredible guests that share their stories of failure and how they have ultimately turned those failures into success. So guys, until next time, remember that failure is a launching pad. Without that launching pad, you will not reach success. Are you going to let that failure keep you down or are you going to let it catapult your growth?